0: Matthew chapter 1, from verse 18. This is I'm going to be reading here from the NIV 1984. Um, you may have a slightly different translation, but they all say the same thing. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he, gave, and he gave him the name Jesus. There are a couple more verses that we will read after this, but let me pray. Father God, we uh, thank you, um, Lord, for today. We thank you, Father, that we're gathered here, Lord, to remember Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. And Father, we ask that you will come in during this time, Lord, that you quiet our hearts, Lord, still our hearts. Father, and open our eyes and our ears, Lord, and touch our hearts that we may hear and understand what you have, Lord, to say to us this morning. Father, we humble ourselves before you, Lord. Father, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray, Holy Spirit, that one more time, Lord, You will come, Lord, and help us, Lord, and help me to deliver your word, Lord, and help us, your people, Lord, to refocus and realign ourselves with Jesus Christ. We ask that in his name. So, one of the things that happens in the Catholic tradition is that there is what is borderline a worship of Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph are the earthly parents of Jesus, of Jesus. But then what has happened is that in Protestant circles, we have had an overreaction to that, to the point where we don't talk about them. And so they have suffered, uh, in a way, from being mentioned because we're, we're supposed to worship only God. We don't worship Mary, we don't worship Joseph, we don't worship Peter or Paul or anyone like that. But because these, they, they, they tend to venerate her, um, we've sort of tried to get away from that. And I think there's been an overreaction. I have been this year, this is not, to me, this is not because of Christmas season for months. I have just been fascinated with Joseph, um, the earthly father of Jesus, ever since um, my housemates and I were reading the book of Matthew and a couple of other other brothers joined us for that Um, and I do encourage you find someone with whom you can pray and find someone with whom you can read the Bible Um, it is those are two important things if you want to change something in this new year I do encourage you find somebody with whom if you live in a home it's with people that's the easiest thing to do just read it with those you live with pick a book of the Bible Uh, we've gone through so many of them at my house with my housemates who are both here. And it's been a blessing. But one of the things that was just struck me and that being is just the person of Joseph. And there, there is some lessons there for us to learn through his life. And then we're going to tie it back to Jesus before we, we conclude. So um, here is what um, the Bible says here, that this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came to be. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, pledged to be married in the Hebrew culture at the time, the, the real word there is betrothed. They were engaged, but in those days, it was like engagement today, but a str- stronger than that. It was an engagement, but it was legal, it was binding, and in order to end it, it was called a divorce. So they weren't living together. They hadn't officially, officially, fully gotten married yet. They're still engaged. And so Mary is supposed, is pledged to be married, betrothed to Joseph. But before they came together, meaning before they started living together, before they got fully married, she suddenly gets pregnant through the Holy Spirit as a miracle. And that might surprise you. You may be like, wow, somebody got pregnant and there was no men involved. Well, uh, Christ, the Christian faith is full of miracles. You take miracles out, you take the Christian faith out. Everything in the Christian, everything God does is a miracle. The virgin birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's all a miracle. This is, uh, this is what happened. And... The, the, now, if you find that hard to believe, I don't, we don't blame you because neither did Joseph believe it. So Mary comes to Joseph and she says, Hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant. But it's not what you think. Uh, there was no guy involved. I was not unfaithful. Uh, this is a miracle from the Lord. And Joseph says, You're right. Um, you may be a good cook, but you are terrible at making up stories. And You did not. So he did not believe her. However, here's what the Bible says. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, the law of Moses, given in Deuteronomy chapter 22, says, That if a woman is engaged, betrothed, pledged to be married to a man, and before they are married, she ends up sleeping with another man, they were to take both of them and stone them. They were given the same punishment that is given to adulterers. However, Joseph knew that. And he did not want that for her. And so what does Joseph do? he thinks to himself and he comes up with this plan. <laughs> he comes up with this plan where he's like, you know, I'm not going to marry her, but I don't want to shame her either. I, I don't want to put her out like that. What I'm going to do, I'm going to divorce her, but only she's going to know. We're going to keep it between us. People are going to assume it's my child, so no one will think that she was unfaithful. And that way, I won't get her into trouble. Now, the Bible calls that a righteous man. The first mention of a righteous man in the New Testament is not someone who is mentioned being righteous. Righteous man is a godly man, someone who does the right thing, is a, a, a person who behaves in a way, in a way that God approves. The first And Joseph here is this is the first chapter of the New Testament, and the first mention of a righteous person here is not righteousness because he did something good. It is righteousness because of how he behaved when somebody from his perspective had heard him. Now, if you find out, you are engaged, you are about to get married to someone, and you find out that that person has been unfaithful, now that must be quite hurtful. So this was not something small. Joseph was quite hurt by this, but he was a righteous man. And so from the first chapter of the New Testament here, you find out the righteousness of Joseph is mentioned because of the way he was willing to forgive and cover for someone else's sin. I cannot tell you how important this is. Everyone sitting here, you have been hurt in some way. Someone has done something to you. If you've lived in the world, someone's done something to you. Now, it may vary in its nature and its severity, but everybody has been hurt in some ways. But the teaching of the Christian faith is this: you have to forgive. You have to forgive. Jesus says, if if just a few chapters after this, here's what Jesus says. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your Father and your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let me ask you this. Can you go to heaven without your sins forgiven? Someone go to heaven without their sins forgiven. One of the things that happens um, is that Pastor Steve mentioned this at one communion service. We don't take the Bible seriously. And then we wonder why there's so many things that are wrong with us. And one of the things that's not taken seriously is that Jesus commanded that we are to forgive people who have hurt us. And I just found, you know, I was told of someone that I know um, whose husband, who she, she found out that her husband has, have, has fathered at least three kids outside of the marriage since they have been married. Now that's gotta hurt. That's hurtful. And some of you sitting here, you 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 might have had, um, you might have you might have been hurt in some bad way. The Bible says you have to forgive. And there are two reasons why we have to forgive. It is because, one, as much as it is true that everyone sitting here and everybody watching online, you have been hurt in some way, the truth is also that you have also done things that are wrong. You've also sinned. You are in need of being forgiven by God. Is anybody here not in need of being forgiven? If you think that you are not in need of being forgiven, we shall have a talk. Uh, after this. Everyone has sinned, everybody. And you are in need of being forgiven. And Jesus said, if you do not forgive men, their sin, your sin will not. If there's somebody who did something against you 10 years ago, you have not forgiven them. Your sins of the past 10 years have not been forgiven. Now, that's quite a heavy load to live under. And the other reasons why We must forgive. It's because what you and I did to God is worse than anything that anyone has ever done to us. It's because of your sin and my sin that Jesus Christ hung on that cross. We're going to come back to that before we conclude. But knowing that, knowing how much God has been good to you, it is terribly wrong. For you and I not to forgive others. And here's one practical advice that I would give to that. Something that I learned. You know, there was a, some years ago, there was someone who did something that, to me, that was not pleasant. Actually, a minister. And I was still in college at the time. And I was like, Lord, what do I um, How do I deal with this? And I felt God telling me, well, you know what the Bible says? Bless those who curse you. Pray for them and bless them. So I proceeded to start blessing this person. And my whole being revolted against that. What are you doing? This man is going to be blessed. I did not want him to be blessed. I had no desire for this person to be blessed. I wanted God to teach him a lesson, not to have God bless him. But I I found out this, that it is impossible to pray for someone sincerely and have the wrong heart towards them. It is impossible to talk to God about something, anything, and not develop God's view and God's attitude towards that person. This is why prayer is so great. It's not about the answers we get. It's that the time in prayer transforms us to start thinking like God thinks. And so, now, some of you, you've been hurt in some real terrible way, and I feel sorry for you, but you do need to forgive, um, is what the Bible teaches us. And it says here that after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, um, and not one thing here. It doesn't say I'm one, it doesn't say that God, Joseph did not want to expose Mary to um, public disgrace because he loved her so much. It wasn't because he liked her so much. It's because it says because he was a righteous man. It was about his fear of the Lord and his loving the Lord that was at work here. This was not just a purely a sentimental thing. It was that he was a man who feared the Lord, and so he forgave. So here's, here's an interesting thing here. So after, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. As Joseph was considering this thing, he fell asleep. He fell asleep thinking about and scheming about how he would get someone else out of trouble. Most of the time, when we're on our beds, we're about to fall asleep. What are the last thoughts that we fall asleep with? How am I going to get back to this person? How am I going to take revenge? What's the next just move, I'm going to make, and things like that. That's how, in our sin, that's how, we, that's how we, we behave. But Joseph, he's falling asleep thinking about, how am I going to get this woman out of trouble? And no wonder he gets a visit from an angel. No wonder he gets a visit from an angel, and the angel tells him, listen, you, you, you're thinking about this the wrong way. She's right. She didn't lie. This is of the Holy Spirit. This is a, a, a miracle. And you are to, to um, take this child, give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this is verse 21 here, just to, to let you know, this is the first promise in the New Testament. So we've seen the first righteous man. Here's the first promise. You will be, he shall be, you'll call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, from the Hebrew, Joshua, from the Greek, Yehusus, it means the same thing. The Lord saves. He is called Jesus. You and I call him Jesus because he saves. Saves from what? Saves from sin. He did not come to save us just from hell, he came to save us from lying, from cheating, from drunkenness, from adultery, from fornication from bitterness, from anger, from pride, from jealousy. He came to actually save his people from their sins. That's the gospel. That's what makes it good news. The good news is not that we just get forgiven from our sins by remaining in them. That's not good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ actually comes to save us from sin, from its guilt, from its power, from its consequences, all of which comes through, through Jesus Christ, and that's why he's called Jesus. So every time that we sing Jesus, we are saying, the one who saves us from sin. And before I move on, let me ask, um, let me point a couple of things out to you. The angel called Joseph, Joseph son of David. Now, if you read the earlier part of this chapter, there is a genealogy, meaning a lineage of Joseph that is given, all the way from Abraham um, through many generations. And you find out that Joseph was of royal blood. He was a descendant of King David. And so, although here right now, in this time, Israel is really under Roman occupation, there's no real king in the sense that we had in the Old Testament from the line of David. The angel looks at Joseph, who is just a carpenter in a village. The angel calls him and says, no, you know what? You are the son of David. You have royal blood in you. And he knew that. But there is a, a lot of commentators here would say that that's why the angel is saying son of David. It's because He's trying to bring attention to the fact that he is of royal descent and therefore um, setting up the fact that this child is also a a rightful heir to, to to the throne. But I think there's another reason why he's called the son of David here. I believe it's because David, at his best, was a merciful man. When David was walking with God, David is... The most famous king of Israel, for those of you who don't know. He was always a merciful man, wouldn't kill Saul, who was trying to kill him, even when he had two opportunities to do that. He was always seeking how to do good to someone. And not only that, in the new if you read further on in, in Matthew and in, in the other gospel, Mark and Luke as well, you'll discover that um, something really interesting that I found there is that. Almost every time that someone calls out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, because people did call Jesus that later, it's to ask him to have mercy on them. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There, I don't have time to show you the scriptures, but you can see that there's one in Matthew chapter 9, there's another one in Matthew chapter 15, another one in Matthew chapter 20, where Jesus is called son of David. And the person who's appealing to him, son of David, says have mercy on me. And one of the reasons why I think Joseph the angel highlights the son of David here is to say that. And here's another question that I would ask you is that, and this is one of those little details that just tells you the Bible is not a made-up story because nobody will write a story in this way, is that if you and I were writing this story, we would tell God, hey, listen. If you are going to do a miracle and Mary is going to have a baby, will be pregnant, and she is betrothed to a man, you need to give the man a heads up. Okay? You need to let him know ahead of time she's going to come to you and tell you she's pregnant. so that, Or at least maybe while they're together on a date or something, you send the angel then and speak to them together. But God didn't do that here. He goes and he tells, and he appears to Mary and tells her, you're going to have a child, and says nothing to Joseph. You and I will look at that, we say, oh God, I thought you were not the author of confusion. This is pretty, because a crisis in this people's relationship here. Why, why did God not tell Joseph? Why did God not tell until after? Well, there's only one reason I can think of. Is so that you and I would see the character of Joseph. These people are put in the Bible so we learn from them. There are confusions, misunderstandings, unpleasant situations that God allows in our lives to expose our character. Being a Christian when everything is going well is not that hard. Being a Christian becomes difficult when it demands something of you. When you are in a hurtful situation. When you're facing disappointment. When you're facing betrayals. When you're facing lies told about you or meanness to, uh, sent your, your way. That's when what's when a Christian comes. If you do the right thing when it's easy, that's just common sense. Righteousness is when comes out when there's a crisis that hits our lives, and so. You see that here um, with, with Joseph. Now, let me move on and point to something else here. The Bible says in verse 24, Joseph woke up, did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. Okay, He did not divorce her took her home as his wife. Now, again, they were betrothed. They were engaged. And so now Joseph takes Mary, and now they become There, She actually comes to his home. So it says Joseph woke up, took Mary home as his wife. And it says in verse 25, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, please listen here. Notice, it may not mean much in our generation today, but the first command that God gave to humanity in Genesis is a man will leave his father and mother, will unite with his wife, and then they'll become one flesh. So that was God's order. You leave your mother and father, become mature enough, Spiritually, financially, emotionally, to leave your mom and dad, to be independent of them. You unite with your wife, meaning you get married, and then one flesh, that's physical love and union. That's God's order. In our generation, in our culture, we flip that around where we do one flesh first, then we move in together, and then in a lot of cases, then people mature much later. Joseph and Mary here, he took her home. As his wife. There is only one way. Let me say this to all the gentlemen, brothers um, here. There's one way to take a woman home, and it's, that's to marry her. Gentlemen, say amen. Oh, that was weak. <laughs> um, you're all tired. Try that again. I did this once to the sisters in the, back in August. Let, let, let's write, "Hey, gentlemen, the way that you take a woman home to home is to marry her." Amen. That was good. And ladies, the only way that you should live with a man is if he marries you. Sisters, can you say "Amen"? Good. Otherwise, it's an abomination to God. I know that in our culture, this is crazy. This is antediluvian. It's ancient thinking. It is, you know, all kinds of terms that is used for this. But one of the purposes that the church serves, it says in 1 Timothy, the church is the bastion of truth or the pillar of truth. Things, culture, social norms change with times based on culture, based on what people want. It changes with the whims, with which voice, which side has the most, the loudest voice and controls media or whatnot. And part of the function of the church, the church is that organism that exists on earth to preserve truth. To say that the truth begins here and it ends here, and over here it's a lie, and over there it's a lie. And... We can't change these things based on what's popular and so forth. We lose our function as a church. Part of our function as a church is to make sure, it's, you know, it's like those high, in, in the highways, they paint the lanes, and every now and then you have to repaint them to make sure that people are staying in their lane. That's, part, that's what the church does with truth. It's to say, here are the speed limits, here are the, here's, the, here's the way things are, ought to be. And we have to believe God has given us his laws with, um, with love for us in mind. Okay, I'm starting to run out of time. So let me um, go through some of these other points quickly. Most of the time, um, here, here's what it says here in verse 25, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to this, So meaning there was no physical union here until this, the child was born. You have to stop and think about that. So this is Joseph. This is Joseph living in the house, married with a woman he loves. There is no sin here. They're married now. They can do whatever they want. But Joseph tells himself that intuition of the man of God in him, says, you know, Mary, this child this child is unique. There's angels appearing talking about him and so forth. I'm just going to stay away from you until this child is born. An outstanding man. He knew, you know what he was doing there? He was respecting the Christ in this woman. He was honoring God. Most of the time, as a pastor, as a church leader, you have to fight people and tell them not to cross certain lines. People who are not married, you're trying to tell them, don't do this and don't, because that's bad. But Joseph, who is married already, somehow he knew that the way to honor this particular child. Now, there's never been another child like this. This is about Jesus Christ. But, so this is a unique circumstance, but he knew that, you know, this is not about me. This is about honoring and respecting the Lord. Um, most of the time, in our culture here, you have people who, haven't made a commitment to someone, but they use each other's bodies, much less made, without any commitment. And I'll tell you, 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 may, you may think that this is not a big deal. Um, so I'll tell you a true story, some that, that happened. Um, this is maybe three years ago. Um, I, just about three years ago, Last time I flew out of the country, I went to see some very dear friends of mine who used to be in Boston, but are now live abroad, I'll say. And it was, it was just easier for me to go visit them than for them to come. It's a husband and wife. And I went out there to, to, to visit them. We hadn't seen each other in a while. And they're believers, godly people. They took me to their church on Sunday when I I was there visiting them. And after church, they took me out to lunch. And they invited two couples from their church to join us for lunch. So it was me, my hosts, husband and wife, two other couples, seven of us, went to this nice Asian restaurant. We're sitting at a round table. And while we're talking, I somehow just begin to quote from Matthew chapter 7, which says, either a tree is good, if a a good tree cannot bear bad, a, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And I begin to say, if people go to church, say they're Christian, but then they're living together, living in sin before, while coming to church, before they're married, it's bad fruit. They're a bad tree. And the table got very quiet. The lady, the, the wife, the host, looked at me with uh, a certain kind of stare, and I started... Telling myself, Freddie, why are you saying these things? Nobody asks you this. So after a while, I stop, and the conversation resumes. And when we're done with lunch, we get in the car, Would my host take me in their car, they turn to me and they say, you know, that couple, the ones that were giving you uh, tips on where to travel if you ever go to Asia, they're not married. They live together. No one at church knows. Everybody thinks they're a good um, couple. They serve a church. No, the elders don't know. Nobody knows. We don't know what to do with them. They say they're going to think we told you something, and they did not tell me anything. People say, why do you always talk about this thing? Because folks need to hear it. Those folks need to hear it. Anyways, now I'm not talking about when people lived this way before they became believers. Um, the Bible says, in the days of ignorance, God overlooked. But the days of ignorance for you are done today. Oy. You, you, know, you can't claim ignorance anymore. You heard it today at Calvary Chapel in the city on Christmas Sunday. So the... Um, The last thing I want to mention here about Joseph and then I will conclude is take a look at how this man um, obeyed the Lord. It said the angel told him take Mary as your your wife. The next day, the morning when he got up, not a week later, it says that day he woke up, he took him off. It's like, People are like, oh, wait, well, you got married. We thought you had a wedding set on this particular I Say, No, an angel told me to marry her today. So he did. He did not delay. It was a man who obeyed the Lord. You see that again later. It says um, in verse chapter 2, verse 13, um, we maybe have that verse. It says, when they had when they gone. Yes, thank you, Jeff. Um, when they had gone. Uh, when Oh, thank you, Heather. When they, had gone to, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. The angel spoke to him, say, take the child, escape, because they're going to try to kill him. That night, he didn't know wait till morning. That night, he got up, and he went. And again, when, if you read later, um, verse 19, it said, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Verse 21, So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. He was a man who was obeying the Lord. You see, like in just those three sentences, there's three steps of obedience there. Let no one um, deceive you. Here's the, here's the truth. There are two kinds of Christians. Those who obey God and those who don't. And the differentiator in the Christian life is obedience. You see two people who became Christians the same day, And you see them 10 years later. You see that one has grown spiritually, the other one seems to be turning in circles. There's only one reason for that. One of them has obeyed the Lord. Not saying perfectly, but they've had a heart of obedience. When God has convicted them, go apologize to this person, they went. Go over here and stop doing this thing they did. The result of that is God pours into that person more of, the, of his life. You may say, but Freddie, I thought it's grace. So isn't, isn't it? Um, what about grace? And I know Pastor Steve has been teaching from Galatians here about grace, and I've seen the fruit of that study in some here, it's, and it's been amazing. But as Pastor Steve has been mentioning, we're not to be slaves to the law. But I'm sure he's going to get to chapter 5 and chapter 6 in Galatians. And there, I'm sure he's going to, to be teaching that there's two things we can be slaves of. We can be slaves of the law or slaves of the flesh. Both are terrible. And Jesus Christ came to set us free from the slavery of both. By grace, the Holy Spirit sets us free both from the bondage to the law, and from the bondage to sin, there's three ways that you can live. You can live according to the flesh, where then you do whatever your desires want. Then after that, you try to live by the law. Both are bad. What God desires for us is what Galatians call it: walking in the spirit. And when you do walk in the spirit, the result of that there's fruit, gentleness, kindness, love, patience, so forth. Against such things, there's no law. Now, the couple of minutes that I have, um, let me say this. So, what was this whole thing about? Why, why, why all these? why, why all these angels talking about this child and all of this? What, 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 what is it about? And it's about this. Um, can we, can we put that? Um, Can we put that verse um, 11? When Jesus was born, chapter 2, verse 11, when Jesus was born, some wise men came to him, and they bowed down and worshipped him, which tells us Jesus is God, because they bowed down and they worshipped him. Notice they didn't bow down and worship Mary, who was there, or Joseph, who was also there. They bowed down and worshipped Jesus, and they opened their treasures and brought gifts of gold, incense, and of myrrh. Now, I mean, quick question. How many wise men were there? Fanny and Sam, you can't answer. How many wise men were there? Pardon? We don't know. You know, we, we, we think that there were three, and in all due respect to the people who wrote one of the songs that we sang, which did say three, um, that we don't know. It's, but we, it, that's something we simply get from tradition, But here's one of the gifts they gave him. One of the gifts they gave him was myrrh, which was used for burial, to embalm people when they died. Jesus Christ, when he was born, was given that present. One of the things he was given to tell us this, Jesus Christ was born to die. Everyone else dies because they were born. Jesus Christ was born for the purpose of dying. Can we read that last verse from John chapter 18, verse 37? And this is when it happened. This is the day Jesus was being crucified and talking to Pilate. Here's what he said. This is the one verse we have where Jesus literally mentions his birth. He says, For this reason I came into are right in saying, I am a king. He is truly the son of David in the sense that he is king. And for this reason I was born, to bear witness to the truth and to testify, everyone who is on the side of the truth comes to me. Jesus Christ was born for this purpose. What was that purpose? He was going to the cross to die for the sins of the world. The Christmas thing, and you say, and he says, can you keep that verse up, Heather? To testify to the truth. The Christian faith is about truth. Which is why this whole thing about Santa Claus and Rudolph and, and, and all of that is, is, is damaging to the, to, to, to the story of the, of the birth of Jesus Christ. God did not send his son to come and die for a fairy tale. God did not send his son to come and die. And, and I was thinking about that. There's the, 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 it's almost a whole religion that's been set around this. There's Santa Claus and There's Rudolph who gets persecuted by the other reindeers, and then there's songs about it. It's almost like there's worship songs about it. It's almost like a religion. And it's not true. There's no truth in that. The Son of God was born to bear witness to the truth. And here's the truth, that you and I are sinners, and we needed someone, God, to come and die for us for our sins. That's a serious thing. The Son of God came to die for our sins, and as important as his birth is, even more important is his death. He told us to when he at the end of his life, he didn't say remember my birth, he said remember my death. And he gave us that, and he told us to do something to remember his death, to take communion. And I was so glad to hear we're doing communion tonight. to today, this morning, and so we're going to, let me call um, the prayer couple, Solomon, can you come there? If you, I want to ask you today, um, Jesus said, can you put that verse again, Heather, Sorry. everyone who is on the side of the truth listens to me, is what Jesus said, and I do want to, as we're going to have some people come up here um, who are going to be praying, and Daniel, and Christabel and uh, Grace, if you can come, come up. If you know that in your life, Christ is not the center. The lesson of Joseph's life, which was that it was not, it's not about me. It's about following Jesus Christ, submitting to him, obeying the Lord, if you know that that's not you, where you have pretty much been living life, doing whatever you want, you, you need, whatever you want, come and um, these fine people here will pray for you. And um, also, as we just prepare for communion, if there is um, just anything in your heart that you know you want prayer for? You want somebody to pray for you about? Come here, and these um, folks here, Chris and um, and David, there will will pray for you, and Elise and Mrs. Conan will pray for you. So we'll. Um, if you, I'm also going to be here. Um, If you want prayer, please come forward. They're going to be playing a song, and then we're going to finish uh, by taking communion. While they get ready to sing, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that today we have a promise that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to save us from our problem, which is sin, we thank you that he was born to die. Take our sins. And today, Lord, Father, we want to take sides with the truth. The truth that we have sinned. The truth that we need a Savior. That we need to be forgiven. We need to be made new. Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you will do a supernatural work in our hearts, Lord. of birth in Christ. In us. Father, I pray, Lord, for no more religion, Lord, that will separate the fairy tales and the tradition and all that from all of this. Really find our comfort in the fact that we have found the truth in Jesus Christ, your Son. Forgiveness and life in Him. That's that in Jesus.